Now we're going to read from the scriptures. We're reading today from 1 Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter three. Let's hear the word of the Lord. First Samuel chapter three, verse one. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice, nor offering forever. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I want us to think of the verse 3. It reads as follows, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And I've entitled this message, The Lowering and the Loss of the Lamps. First Samuel chapter 3, 1 to 10, deals with conversion and call of the boy Samuel in the house of God. Samuel, of course, later on was to become one of the truly great men of God in the land of Israel, a faithful prophet. 
During his day, he was known also as a true judge of the Lord in the land of Israel. Prior to this, on a particular never-to-be-forgotten night, Samuel was but a little boy sleeping in the tabernacle at Shiloh. He was there to minister to Eli the priest. Remember, of course, before he was born, his godly mother had prayed for a son to be born unto her. She promised God that he he would answer her prayer. She would give him back to the Lord and to the Lord's service. After his birth and when young Samuel was weaned, she kept her word. And the boy Samuel was there presented uh, to the, the Lord in the house of God to help the elderly Eli. Remember, Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. In their day, they sinned greatly against the Lord so much that the people abhorred the very offering of the Lord. And you can read about this in chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, 17, chapter 2, 22 to 25. But in that particular night, Old Eli had lay down to sleep. And the Bible tells us that as his eyes were waxed dim that he could not see, then look at what we read in verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now the word ere means before. I want you to think of an oil lamp. And the oil's almost spent. And it's about to run out. And that meant that the light was about to go out. And that meant it would be dark in the temple. And it would remain that way until the morning had come. The word temple here in the Hebrew means hehal. It's a large house-like structure. And when we compare the scripture with scripture, we know that the tabernacle was erected at Shiloh and added to the temple or the tabernacle at this time was living accommodation for Eli the priest, his sons, his wives, and the boy Samuel. Now this morning, I want to focus on the words, ere the lamp of God went out. Just before the lamp had gone out. It hadn't fully gone out, but it was about to go out. It was burning very low. It was burning very dim. Now, this wee text of Scripture was first shared with me by a brethren evangelist not that far from carried off by the name of David Boyd many, many years ago, and he said to me, did you ever see this, Reverend? It was brought again to my attention on the night of the last family night when the lights went out here in the church, when the lights were out in the manse and half of Carrie Duff, and of course we were uh, waiting on the lights coming back on, and they weren't back on to, I believe it was Monday about half past 11. But I was thinking here of this picture. Ere the lamp of God went out, and it's of course a picture here of old Eli, whose eyes were dim. And that was one of the things that was peculiar to this man of God. There was a blurring of his vision. Now, the strange thing is this, that the lamp was to burn continually and always before the Lord. Exodus chapter 27 and in the verse 20. A light was always to burn in the house of God before the Lord. A light in the Bible is a symbol of hope, encouragement. It's an aid to vision. 
Remember, the Bible says God is light. John 1, verses 3 and 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. I was thinking of the church. The professing church of Jesus Christ in Northern Ireland. It's meant to be a lighthouse. It's meant to shine from the meeting house out into the countryside, into the cities, into the community. The church of Jesus Christ as a lighthouse is meant to be a beacon of truth and a beacon of light and a symbol of power and dignity unto the Lord. Yet I want to tell you this morning that in far too many churches, the spiritual lights are going out. The eyes of the pastor and the deacons and the elders and the people are growing dim. And their ears have become wax and deaf to the voice of God. And there's a loss of vision and a loss of power. And that's what I want to address this morning. I want you to think with me. The lowering and the loss of the lamp. Let's think of the loss of the lamp. Could I suggest, as David Boyd suggested to me, the lamp of the final authority of the word of God? Do you know, it's my belief this morning that the vast majority of liberal, modernistic, and even some professing evangelical and fundamental churches no longer believe the Bible to be the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God. We are witnessing in the 21st century a reversal of Reformation times. In Rivara Orange Hall a few Thursday nights ago, I preached on the subject Sola Scriptura. Only the Scriptures. The Reformers rediscovered in the 15th century the primary say of the scriptures their cry was what saith the scriptures what drove martin luther to nail his 95 theses to the church door at wittenberg was the scriptures of truth that had been revealed to him his 95 theses were carefully selected answers from the scriptures and were a direct challenge to the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church of the 15th century. From the 5th to the 15th century, a thousand years, we call it the Dark Ages, the medieval times, the Church of Rome allowed her dogmas, her doctrine, her teaching, her tradition to be so far advanced that they were placed above the scriptures. And when John Tetzel came selling his indulgences in Saxony, Germany, Martin Luther had enough. And Martin Luther and the other reformers fully embraced the primacy of the scriptures. Now that is under attack. And so was also the doctrine of the infallibility of the scriptures, the inerrancy of the scriptures. The authority of the scriptures. You see, let me explain something this morning. I don't believe the Bible merely contains the word of God. I believe it is the word of God. I believe the Bible to be infallible. I believe the Bible to be inerrant. 
I believe in plenary inspiration. That means full and complete in all its parts from Genesis to Revelation. I believe this morning in verbal inspiration. Word for word. Do you know that this book is a God-breathed book? Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is what he said. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is theonustos. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Theo is God, neustos is breath. All scripture is given by the breath of God. That's why Solomon could write in Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. And I would add, every word is precious, it's powerful, and every word is plain. And we're to read the Bible. And we're to receive the Bible as the word of the living God, as God has spoken. And we tremble under that word. And what the Bible says, God says. And what God says, the Bible says. And there's no contradictions. And there's no errors. And I want to say this morning, I want to call upon the so-called Protestant pastors in Northern Ireland, regardless of your denomination, let's all make a declaration that this is where we stand for the infallibility and the inerrancy and the authority of the Holy Scriptures. Our catechism asks the question, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify him? Here's the answer. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And I want to tell you, the authority of the word of God is under attack. There's a battle going on in the 21st century, a battle for the Bible. It's raged from the beginning in Eden. And it's still going on. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because men in the pulpit, far too many, have got their own ideas, their own thoughts, views, notions, theories. They're out to be novel. They're out to be nice. They're out to get an audience. But I want to emphasize this. Apart from the Bible, we don't know what to believe. What do we believe about God? Jesus Christ. The creation of the world, heaven, hell, salvation, sin, living out the Christian life, holiness. What about eternal punishment? Apart from the Bible, we wouldn't know how to behave. You see, the authority of the scriptures doesn't rest in the teaching of men. It doesn't rest in the teaching of the church. It doesn't rest in councils. I want to tell you, it doesn't even rest in creeds. Our creeds are subordinate standards to the scriptures. That means they're under the scriptures. The authority of the scriptures rests in God. On God's brave book. Because God has spoken. Let me quote to you from... The Diet of Worms, April 1952. This is what Martin Luther said to the empire, King Charles V. 
Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes, councils, because they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. Here I stand, I can do, I cannot do otherwise. So help me God. Amen. Now that's the principle of final authority. And you want proof this morning that we have moved away from that principle? Should I cite proof this morning that there's practices going on in churches where there's a clear breach of the word of God? There's churches in the United States of America. I think of one, they had a Super Bowl themed service. They hosted a free Super Bowl party. 34,000 people watched online. And one of the pastors, who happened to be a woman, and of course that is contrary to the word of God, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I suffer not a woman to preach, nor deserve authority of the man. Women have a role, but not women ordained into the eldership. Certainly not women ordained into the ministry. It undermines biblical womanhood. But one of these pastors... Pastor Ali Patterson, this is what she did. She kicked the Bible during this online service, supposedly scoring a goal with the Bible. Now, does it matter? Everybody laughed. They loved it. But it's utter blasphemy. It's utter contempt for the Word of God. Is it any wonder Amos said there's a famine in the land and that famine is of hearing the word of God? Is it not written in Psalm 138 verse 2 for thou was magnified thy word above all thy name? Did the Lord Jesus not say man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? Is it not written that the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 sanctify them through thy truth for thy word is truth. Is this not forever settled in heaven? Psalm 119 verse 89. Let me come a wee bit closer to home from the United States. We'll come to the United Kingdom. I was sent a wee video. This is the Church of England now. The Church of England has its first non-binary openly gender queer priest called the Reverend Bingo Allison age 36 God guided her the church of St. Margaret's Antioch in Toxteth on a day of transgender visibility at the morning service there was a quotation from the scriptures some of the things that were quoted were written by ourselves. Is that not proof of a departure from the final authority of the scriptures? And what about the questions dealing with the redefinition of biblical marriage? Biblical marriage is between one man and woman. There's no such thing as same-sex marriage. 
What about the acceptance of transgender ideology? The acceptance of the abomination of homosexuality under the guise of love, which is a false love? What about the rise and rash of the acceptance of new versions of the Bible that undermine this doctrine of infallibility and errancy? Deuteronomy 4 and 2. Proverbs 35 and 6, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Three warnings that we're not to add to or take away from the words of the prophecy of this book. But what do these new versions do? They do exactly that. They take away the words. They add to the words. What about the new ideas? The new perspectives in Paul? Undermining the great doctrine of justification by faith alone? Let me tell you something. From the 15th century... The Church of Rome has believed in, now listen to me carefully, the Church of Rome has believed in and accepted the doctrine of justification by faith. To this day they believe that. But they refuse to accept that the doctrine of justification by faith is by faith alone. And there's a difference. The word alone makes all the difference. What about the call for personal separation unto the Lord? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Where's the, the hatred for sin today? And we could talk about the subject of music, and we're going to deal with that some Sunday. The Lord's Day, attending the house of God. The subject of tithing. The subject of prayer. Dancing, drinking, uh, drunkenness, gambling. You see... What I'm saying to you this morning is this. That the Bible alone is the benchmark for what we believe and how we ought to behave. Not only in the house of God, but outside, in the home, the workplace. The Bible is the rule of faith and practice. And we must submit to and be subservient to the word of God. But our day it's being denied. In our day, it's being distorted. In our day, it's being discredited. In our day, it's being dissected. I, I want to tell you what pastors are saying. The Bible's full of errors. The Bible's not important. The Bible's a collection of man-made myths. That's what the liberals and modernists have been saying for years. But now it's coming out of the mouth of so-called evangelical pastors. It's not, young people. This book has been given by the breath of God. These words are inspired words. These words are inherent. These words are clear. All we need to know about the knowledge of God is here in the book. And this book has been given to make men wise unto salvation. And I believe we need in the 21st century a rediscovery of the final authority of the scriptures. Churches are closing. Lights are going out. We mission halls are shutting down, even here in Northern Ireland, on the Shankill Road and in other places. Why? Because the pastor and people no longer believe the Bible to be the infallible and errant word of God. That's the loss of the first lamp. Let me give you the second loss. The loss of full assurance of faith. You see... Many people today in Northern Ireland and beyond, they're living out the Christian life in fear. They're living out the Christian life full of doubt. They're living out the Christian life, well, I'll wait and see if God lets me into heaven. 
See, there's this mindset has crept into the church now. You can't know that you're saved. You'll never have full assurance of faith. I want to tell you that that's that's popery. The Roman Catholic Church believes that. You see, I, I used to live in a Roman Catholic lodging house and I remember the woman there, the late Helen McMaster, uh, she approached me one day in Coleraine Street and I was giving out tracts and I'd preached a little service in the open air and she came up to me and tackled me with her shopping and said, David, I've told you before, you can't and don't know you're saved until you die and you'll never know until your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And if you've done bad deeds, you'll have to spend a wee time in purgatory and then pay for it to get out. Well, that's exactly what John Tetzel was saying. When the coin in the coffer springs, the soul from purgatory rings. But it's a lie. It's a man-made idea. It's a man's feeling and thought. We've got to go by the book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? everlasting life and also in John chapter 3 remember we read there in the verse 17 these words came from the lips of the Lord Jesus for God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. One of the most precious truths that was revealed to me as a young man at 18 was this. I am come that you might have life. And you might have it more abundantly. That life is eternal life now. The moment you're born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood, that Possession of eternal life becomes a gift. It's planted by God in your soul. And the Bible goes on to speak about full assurance of faith. Hebrews chapter 10 and in the verse uh, 22, the Apostle Paul makes a clear reference there in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 22. Listen to the word of God. This is what Paul let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can approach God in full assurance of faith that we are His, His by birth, His by blood, His because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. But we live in a day when there's no longer full assurance of faith preached about. Assurance of salvation is denied and doubted because they want you to live in fear. They want you to live in Apart from the scriptures. What about the lamp of faithfully asking at the throne of God? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And you know, there has to be a seeking of God in prayer for the individual in private. Matthew chapter 6 and 6. When ye pray, enter into thy closet. And shut thy door and pray to thy father in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The psalmist said in Psalm 109 verse 4. But I gave myself to prayer. There's such a thing as private prayer. But there's such a thing as public prayer. And the prayer meetings used to be the powerhouse. And is the powerhouse of the church of Jesus Christ. 
And Spurgeon, when he was preaching in the Metropolitan Tabernacle to five and six thousand people every service, morning and evening, he had a bunch of people down praying in the basement. I don't know if there was 50 or 500, but there was a lot of people praying as he was preaching. And that's what we have seen in revival times, 1625, 1859, 1920s. Even here in the 1950s and 60s, there was people praying for the breath of God and the move of his spirit. In the early days of the Free Presbyterian Church, the prayer meetings were packed. I remember when the Anglo-Irish Agreement was signed, there was a prayer meeting in Dalamina, and the prayer meeting started at half five. And before it, there was 100 people there, and it was a white-hot prayer meeting. Individuals had a knowledge of God. They had a knowledge of their true self. They saw themselves as sinners who needed to be saved. And they were repentant of that sin and calling on God for mercy. Not only for the saving of their loved ones, but calling on God for mercy for the land. What about the lamp of faithful attendance? You know, many of our churches this morning are half full, like our own. Or half empty, whatever way you want to measure it. You think of Carrie Duff here. There's only three churches that are open now at night. Why? Because many have left off faithful attending. They no longer believe in the principle of one day and seven. Kept holy unto the Lord. And tens of thousands in our community have no desire or thought to darken the door of the house of God in the Lord's day. You think about the the golf places that are open. You think about the sports centers that are now hosting their sporting activities on this one day in seven, the Lord's Day. Or shopping, go down to Forestside, and I guarantee the car park has so many cars in it, there's cars lined up onto the road. Why? Here's the answer. The lamp of faithfully attending the house of God has gone out. And that night years ago when David Boyd and I discussed this wee scripture, ere the lamps go out, I remember writing down on a piece of paper these four things about the lamp. The lamp of final authority. The lamp of faithfully asking. The lamp of faithful attendance. The lamp of filial assurance and I want to tell you there's a loss today in relation to these lamps that are going out in the land is the church any better the answer is no ere the lamp of God goes out now it's 25 to 1 I'm going to stop here and we'll pick this up again next Lord's Day and we'll do a re-resume of what I've said And then we'll finish this. This is a very, very important... I want to say this. This is maybe one of the most important sermons that I've preached on in a long time. This is very, very important. I urge you to pray. And let's pray for a moving of God's Spirit. And let's pray for a rediscovery that these lamps are going out and they need to be lit. Let them be lit all over the land. In every church, to the glory of God.